kitty litter, nuclear waste, and leadership, all on today's episode of The Booterverse. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 35 of The Booterverse. On today's episode, we have author Eric Geary with us to talk about leadership. Judy Scheinbaum answers his questions, and of course we have some Booter thoughts for you, all on today's episode of The Booterverse. Hey there, it's Marsha Houlihan for Dog Biscuits. Dog Biscuits, they sure beat cereal for breakfast. And now for news in my orbit. Nobody wants the clap. Least of all, it appears, the NUS Women's Campaign. The British feminist organization recently tweeted a request that delegates to their conference use jazz hands instead of clapping, since clapping could trigger anxiety and post-traumatic stress reactions in some attendees. They were also down on whooping, which was deemed inaccessible to some. The move was hailed as an important stride toward female solidarity and political correctness and it all looked very positive indeed until the first speaker was announced. The audience immediately erupted in enthusiastic jazz-handing. One conference-goer gushed, I hadn't seen anything like it since the Bob Fosse costume competition in the Castro back in the 80s. The magic of the moment, however, was entirely lost on one woman who suddenly leapt up, yodeled, and throat-punched 12 people before falling to the ground unconscious. The 34-year-old woman, later identified as one Wanda Brethley, said that when people started waving their hands around, she suddenly had a flashback. I was eight and stuck in a hotel elevator with two dozen mimes, she said. We were trapped for 17 hours before we were rescued, and I've had nightmares about it ever since. No charges were filed against Brethley, and several other people have since come forward saying they too find mimes creepy at best. The NUS admits it's being forced to consider other clap-free options, but they are not sure at this time what would be best. The snapping of fingers has been ruled out since it's fairly likely that at least several people in any given audience have had a traumatic experience with beatniks. And flipping the bird? Well, that's also been decided against because it's, well, just a bit rude. Breathley said she doesn't care what the solution is. She just wants the world to know that jazz hands are not a victimless mime. In home furnishing news, following an announcement that IKEA will be manufacturing prefab shelters for the UN refugee program, Massive riots have broken out in camps in Ethiopia, Iraq, and Lebanon. It seems the future inhabitants of these shelters are angry that they don't come furnished. Where are our poang chairs, our billy bookcases, the mobs chant, as they lob ethnic pillows and cheap patio furniture at the UN officials as they pass in their Land Rovers? The reaction has taken the UN completely by surprise. One administrator, speaking on the condition of anonymity out of fear for his life, said that a special committee had been hastily assembled to scour relevant documents that go back to the 1951 UN Refugee Convention. We have the utmost sympathy for them, but I feel I can safely say that nowhere are refugees guaranteed the right of moderate-grade Scandinavian furniture. It just isn't in any of the accords. I've seen them myself. And there's no way we can afford to furnish every shelter in spite of the fact that IKEA is a wonderful, value-priced retailer of quality modernist home goods. As much as we'd love a Philsta chandelier in every hovel, it just isn't practical. 
But if that's the view of the administrators in the offices, it's not the opinion of the boots on the ground, who are suffering daily peltings with goat dung and empty potable water containers. Consequently, the pressure they have been putting on their higher-ups seems about to pay off. Angelina Jolie is set to arrive in Addis Ababa as early as next week with 2,000 Karlstad sofas donated by IKEA. It will be beautiful, she told reporters. They will have their choice of dark gray, beige, red, or a lovely burnt orange color created specifically by the UNHCR. We may not be able to stop the violence in the world, but we can make sure the displaced masses have a lovely thing where they can sit their bottoms. In feline news, a nearly six-month-long investigation by the U.S. Department of Energy has confirmed that a serious incident at a trailer park in New Mexico was caused by the wrong type of kitty litter. An unpleasant odor was noticed by the resident at 137 Pole Trail one morning in October and was traced to the cat box. It was really foul, the woman said. I'd never smelled anything like it before. It wasn't just cat pee, it was something else. I don't know, like poop, maybe. The smell was so strong that it wafted out a window that had been left open on that unseasonably warm day. The odor then drifted into the kitchen of a neighboring trailer where it had a serious negative impact on the breakfasting of one Selden Crabtree. You just can't eat your toast under those circumstances, he said. It threw my whole day off. It was nearly lunchtime before the smell dissipated, and by then I had no idea whether to warm my coffee back up or move on to my cheese sandwich and Pepsi. Meanwhile, the cat box owner was confronted not only with the smell, but with a plastic bin full of completely unclumped litter. I knew I was beaten then, she said. You can't scoop it, it just falls apart. I had no idea how to go on from there. How do you clean it up? What could have possibly gone wrong? The DOE investigators, who were just downwind at the New Mexico Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, stopped by when they got a whiff and were quick to suggest that the issue might be a result of having used the wrong litter. The woman checked her trash can and sure enough, she hadn't purchased her usual brand the last time she went grocery shopping. Value scoop, she cried. How could I have been so stupid? I must have grabbed it by mistake. I always buy tidy cats. The DOE crew member helped her with some cleanup tips and took some valuable advice back with them to the employees at the nuclear waste site. Whatever you do, don't shop for kitty litter drunk. And that's been it for News in My Orbit. Buddha. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by French Toast. French Toast. Only the French would have thought about taking a piece of bread, dipping it in egg, putting it on a skillet, and eating it. It's so continental, even the British won't touch it. And now, for The Last Lung, with Judy. Judy Scheinbaum, take it away. Oh, hello, Emery. It's so good to see you. Thank you so much. I am sitting here with Eric Geary. Eric, you're a leadership guru. I hear you have some questions even for little old me. I do. Thank you, Judy, for taking my question. The first one is around data collection. I don't know if that's your expertise, but... We've been collecting a lot of numbers to try to prove things, and I've lately been thinking, are they that important, and is there another way to value them, especially on maybe a total different scale like on attractiveness? Are certain letters and numbers more attractive than other numbers? Sweetheart, 
Let me tell you, data is like husbands. You can have a lot of it, and it means jack squat. I'll tell you this now. What I know about numbers is about as much as my daughter Eliza knows about dating. And I think we all know that's about a zero. So if you want some data, take those zeros and take the, those ones, and you can shove it where the sun don't shine. Next. Judy, thank you so much. But just, You're welcome, sweetie. Just, just one question, though. Do you find that there are certain numbers that are actually cuter than other numbers? Of course I do. I love a good number three. It is sort of bulbous, if I can use that word. Is that is that going to be censored? Is that... Hello? Hello? Oh, well, good. Okay. Um, three is a wonderful number. It's got some curves, but, you know, it's not like an eight. An eight is very voluptuous, but a three is very nice and subtle. It gives you everything you want without being too much in your face. Well, great. Well, since you've said that, I, you know, I'm going to ask a question that's a little personal for me, but I'm going to go for it anyway. My life, a- my life is an open book for you. Well, okay, here it is. I have a friend uh, who wears somehow on a daily basis the same colors of clothes that I wear it's almost like it's almost like there's a memo that goes out and we show up in the office wearing the same exact attire sweetie if someone showed up in the same moomoo as me I would slit their ever-loving carotid let me tell you something if somebody dared to look as good as Judy they'd be gone next well, so on the topic of fashion, may I ask, what do you think about the polo shirt? Well, sweetheart, if you have some curves to hide, the polo is great. You can untuck it and it'll look like a tent. Seriously, Elisha didn't have that much cloth going on down there. Listen, I know you think they're flattering, but I haven't seen a man in a polo that I haven't wanted to take out to the links and take out of his misery. I mean, the polo is like taking a dress shirt and making you feel like you're something. Sweetie, get an Oxford, get a button down. Is it gonna kill you? No. Seriously, and and I bet you have a, a, a boatload of cargo pants, too. Seriously, sweetheart, let's get out of the 90s. I love you. Seriously, don't think that Judy hates you. I love you, but let's be honest. The polo is kind of like a poor man's dress shirt, and you're better than that. Next. What do you think about the the vapor cigarettes? You know what? It's for pussies. The vapor is for people who just can't hack it. You've got to understand something. If I wanted to put vapor in my lungs, I'd go to Universal Studios or down to Nathan's. That hot dog smoke is just so amazing. What I do is I just maybe, you know, do the secondhand smoke sometimes, you know, just to kind of keep the nicotine going through the lungs. Oh, so you're not you're not a smoker now. No, of course not. Uh, At least that's what I tell my rabbi and my doctor. <clears throat> well, talk to me about faith. Oh, I have faith. It's nice. Great. In what? Who's to say? I mean, a nice little knish is nice every Saturday. But I will tell you, though, faith is important for people. I mean, listen, you know, Moses out of the desert and other people doing things. It's nice, you know. That's nice. Well, you are uh, full of wisdom and advice. So mm, Thank you. So let me let me ask you something that's uh, really, really close to my heart. Um, dogs or cats? 
Oh, that's a great question, sweetie. I will say, you know, in New York, it's hard to keep a dog unless it's a Shih Tzu. And I love little Shih Tzus. I think people know I work at a Shih Tzu rescue. And, you know, those little Shih Tzus, they're lovely. I mean, I just love seeing them. And, you know, they warm my heart. So, you know, the place where my heart would be if I had one. And, you know, it's just lovely. You know, so I support dogs. And that's a beautiful question. Thank you. You know, sweetie, it's, we're running low on time here. Your last question, let's make it a good one. What do you have for good old Judy? Judy, what is your advice uh, for uh, just generally relationships in the office environment? Well, sweetie, I normally tell you don't mess around, but sweetie, if you need to, mess around. I tell you, an office works better when people are working together, if you know what I mean. Um... I mean, I have no more advice from the, the, than that, you know. I mean, seriously, a re good relationship makes a good office, you know. It's the, the social lubricant that makes the workplace as enjoyable. Listen, I've never met a water cooler I haven't loved, if you know what I mean. So, sweetie, that's been it for The Last Lung with Judy. We'll be right back right after this. I love you all. Mwah! Hello, Sir Cold Wallace Willoughby here for Pith Helmets. Pith Helmets, what else can help protect you from elephant dung? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Booterverse. I am sitting here with Eric Gary, author of Loudership. Eric, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, it's great to be here. Eric, my first question is this. How did you write a book that so closely resembles my leadership style? It was easy because it resembles mine as well. Interesting, talk to me about that. Are you a loud man? Well, I am a loud man. I've never seen a microphone I didn't like. Mm, that's and, good. Uh, We've got several here, yeah. so you should feel in good company. I am. I've wanted to be on stage or in front of people since probably I was born, so it came very naturally to me. Mm, you came down the pike, and the doctors were like, a star is born. Yeah, at least uh, that's, what, that's what mom said. So Of course she would. Now, Eric, this is a great, great book. How did you come up with the concept? Did you just look at your own life or did you sort of do a biography of me and say, this is something, this is a way of leadership that more people need to know about? Well, it came about um, actually in conferences on leadership that I've been attending for 15 years and books I've been reading about leadership for 15 years. And they're all pretty dry. They're all pretty boring. And they all pretty much are teaching the same principles. So as I go to these, I sit there and I think, golly, there's got to be another, a better way to communicate leadership. So I chose loudership. And simply, really, it's not that, it's not really rocket science or anything. I just took two vowels from leadership mm. and I changed them to loudership. You see what I did there? So I see that. It's just like a, it's really just a vowel movement. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. Would you, is that sort of the title, maybe the underscore of your book title? Loudership. Um, just a vowel movement. It was going to be, uh, but then I thought, you know, there's probably too many deals that come with that, commercial deals, sure. and I didn't really want to see myself on screen with but, the emodium in front of me. But so. think of what you could have done with toilets or with the poop emoji. You could have really done a lot with that. I could have been the face of the poop emoji. You could have been. I could have been. And that would have been such a boom for your book. Speaking of leadership, to be a good leader, how many pleats in your khaki pants do you actually have to have to be a good leader? Uh, you have to have three on each side. Mm. I've actually switched now to a more European kind of cut. Okay. I don't know what that means, but I like to say that, so it makes it sound like I'm fashionable. More, more of a slimmer fit? 
Yeah, but you do recognize that leaders uh, do wear a lot of khakis. I see what you did there. Yeah, no, and it's it's also the polo or the blue Oxford uh, button down, which is a staple of good leaders. It is. I am. Uh, I'm in a polo now, as mm, you can see. I, I am and, seeing that. And I have a full closet full of polos. Excellent. Do you find that that sort of casual, casual attire makes you more approachable? Yeah, and that's what I'm going for as a louder. I really want to be approachable and sensitive, and all of that is a crock. Well, in fact, that color is pretty loud, so you are doing quite quite a good job, my friend. I know how to do it on many fronts. You know, I've heard that as well, and whenever I get that compliment, I just take it and run with it. <laughs> That's good. Now, you have said that you want to hire dull. Yeah. Unlike those polos, you want to hire dull. That's right. Well, so the principle there is if you hire a lot of smart people— and then people around you and leadership look down the line, then yes. one of those folks actually may take your job. And as a louder, essentially, since it's all about me and I've risen to the top, I don't really want competition, so I hire dull. Who wants a bunch of people saying no and being downers around your office, right? I love that. I like people that say yes. I'm like the Oprah of hiring. I want yes people, positive people, people who will do whatever I tell them to do. Me too. Me too. That is so great. Where did you come up with this philosophy? Any leaders out there that you've sort of modeled this upon? Unfortunately, uh, yes. I have been with many leaders uh, who have uh, hired Dull, and, and I was on their staff team. How did it feel being a yes man? It was good. It was really good. I'm, I'm, uh, it's a natural thing for me. Mm, probably very in, rewarding. It too. is rewarding. And you move up the ladder very quickly. And, you know, you learn the art of kissing up, which is a good thing as a follower. I don't have to do that now. There are three cent- essential principles, and that's demean, demean, demean. Mm, I like that second one. It really hit home for me. Yeah. Well, it's got a little more power than the first two Ds. But it, sure, absolutely. The second one always does. It does. It does. Now, what about the Japanese and Chinese models where they incorporate physical activity into their daily structure? So you would say no to that? No, I say yes to naps for the leaders. Now, not for the employees. I've actually instituted quite a few things in the office that uh, that promotes good physical health. Like a waffle maker? Uh, no, uh, but that's a great idea. I do uh, donuts once a quarter. I think that really brings people's... Um, Brings the atmosphere up. Not daily donuts. Not something you don't want to coddle them. No, and you don't want to waste the budget. But every few months, uh, some powdered donuts from Kroger really brings up staff morale. Do you like the white powdered donuts? The white powdered donuts are the only way to go because that way I know who is working. Because if you eat a white powdered donut and then start to use your keyboard, there's obviously a trace. So it's not only staff morale that I'm bringing up. It's actually a way for me to keep tabs on those who are under me. Excellent. So what you're saying is you like seeing white in the workforce. Wow. Now that's a stretch, but yes, I do. Now, how do you feel about the chocolate-covered donuts? I'm not a fan of the chocolate-covered donut. Is there something more going on there? Uh, No, I just think it's a a feeble attempt um, to coat what is already fantastic. Mm. See, that's what I love about you. You don't need excess color in the workplace i mean you don't need that extra sugar what you want sir is something something so rich and pure that white powder which is like me Mm, yeah rich and rich and pure now did you get rich because you were in fact such a louder no it actually hasn't done much for my career to be honest not yet but it's catching on it's like micromanagement i think that's catching on too and i'm not going to be the guy who is 
uh, stuck behind that curve. I can tell you that. I actually uh, have a, a principle that I use in loudership that I call reinvent the wheel. I like doing that. Yeah, I do too. Most people say uh, don't reinvent the wheel, but actually reinventing the wheel is pretty smart. Absolutely, because you're doing something that had already been done and you're doing it again, but you're just redoing it. Right, and really no one knows who invented the wheel in the first place. It goes back a long time. Yeah, so you can actually take credit for some of those things like reinventing the wheel. Not that one in particular, but you can take credit for some other things in leadership. Like Excel, perhaps? Like Excel, Mm. like, like any Microsoft product. As a leader, are you supposed to track your employees or do you just let them sort of graze freely like a cow on a free-range farm? We track everything and we do morning uh, reports, mid-afternoon reports, and evening reports. So, Do you report on the reports? We, I don't, but I have people who report on the reports. I love that. I love your oh, the minutiae. Yeah, which is what I do. I major on the minors. So good. These seem like such simple concepts that just hit you over the head, and yet, for some reason, they're never talked about. Well, then, that's why I wrote this book, and that's why I'm, I'm really appreciative of this time, so we can get this word out. Now, what about people with great hair? Do they often excel better in a loudership format, or do they not? Uh, they do, and uh, it is actually one of my deficiencies, but not one of yours, I note. No, my hair is high and it is loud. It is lovely. Now, the 90s were a great decade. I think a lot of people know that. Are you trying to hearken back to that by this book? Some things remind me of that wonderful decade. Yes, but when you bring up the 90s, I don't think about leadership. I think about what I was doing in the 90s. Mm, But you were leading. You were that nugget germinating, right? I was, and I was leading from a stage, as always. But I was doing it a little differently. I didn't have the microphone in front of me, and I didn't have a title. I just had a pair of MC Hammer pants and some good Bobby Brown music. Mm, Bobby! Yeah, I love me some Bobby. Wow, yeah. It's my prerogative. It is your prerogative. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You're going to do what you're... ah. I love that you're even using pop culture in your leadership references. And I think a lot of people know that Bobby Brown is certainly someone to emulate when talking about leadership. That's exactly right. I have four or five people that I know. Just in general? In total. I love that. I yeah, love that. I keep it small. Keep my circle small. And people say networking is a part of uh, leadership and management and advancing your career. And I pretty much stay pretty isolated and it's working for me. Wow. So isolation and small things are the key. Small thinking, small things, isolation, stick to your guns, don't change your mind, don't think long. I mean, it's all the standard principles for success. This is just mind-blowing right now. It's a revolution. It really is, uh, well, if you will, sort of a reinvention of the wheel. It is a reinvention of the wheel. Taking something that already exists and claiming it as something that's your own. True leadership principles in practice. I love that you're modeling them right here, right now. Well, it's just a natural for me. I mean, some people have to work toward leadership. And, you know, people say nature, nurture, I'm not sure. Some people are just born with it. You were born with it. I was born with it, and some people are not. I think it's kind of a tragedy to try to tell them, actually, that they can get it or become a good leader. It's another thing I do. I try to make sure I'm honest with other people. And let them know how bad they actually are. Sure, because if you're not honest with other people, how can you be honest with yourself? So you're basically telling the self-help gurus to stop telling people that they're good and can succeed, when in actuality, according to Loudership, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. And it's it's like I communicate in the book, at least in one uh, particular chapter, when I 
talk about if no one's following. People have been telling me that in leadership conferences for 20 years now. If you turn around and no one is following you, are you really a leader? Well, that's a very insulting and very insensitive question because it's not that I'm not a very good leader. It's just that people can't keep up with me. And so when I turn around and I don't see people, I actually think that's good leadership. What are the biggest issues in the workplace that people have to overcome? Well, I really think people have to overcome relationships. I think we spend far too much time relating to each other. I mean, what drives me nuts is, is, is your high bobbing. You know, when, you, when somebody's walking to the bathroom and the other people are like, hi, Bob, hi, Bob, hi, Bob. Anytime you take your face away from the screen or your work, I think you're costing me money and I do not like it. It is product over process every time. Well, and as you say, there's no I in team, but there is an M and a me. There is an M and an E. Yes, it's mm. me. I am uh, the team. That's for sure. You know, dropping bombs in the workplace is uh, pretty good stuff, too. Talk to me about that. What kind of bombs? Well, I, I, I take a couple of the principles that have been taught in leadership in the past, and I try to arrange them in such a way that they have more power. And so there was a great book one time, at least people would say it's a great book, called The One Minute Manager. And it teaches you how to deal with staff people in one minute if there's an issue. Uh, That's at least one of the things it teaches. I teach the one minute angrier. So I teach you how to, in one minute, just blow up like a crazy man. I also teach in this book how to do the exaggerated huff, how to really uh, perform with a really long cold stare when needed in a staff meeting and how to slam a door properly and all those things are bombs that can be dropped the pounding of the fist on a table all of those things are bombs that can be dropped in the offices office that adds great emphasis to your loudership any room for loving and learning in this loudership universe well i uh i love me some eric yes i mean i there's a lot of room to love me Mm, a lot of self-love do you find that that happens just in the workplace or at home too? Do you find that self-love really sort of spills into your daily routine? Well, you know, in all honesty, if you would read my book, you would recognize that um, I really do have a heart for other people as well. I really do love other people. Because of what they can do for you. That's exactly right. You got it. Not not because of what value they may add to the world, but really what value they add to me. Absolutely. And because you've surrounded yourself by such, you know, sycophantic minions, the value they could add to you, very minimal at best. It is minimal. Uh, It is minimal. And I love that you use the word sycophantic. It's a beautiful word. I have no idea what it means, but I loved it. Sycophantic would be someone who is a succubus. Someone who ingratiates themselves upon your personage and does not let go. A veritable eel on the belly of corporate America. See, you, my friend, may have just risen to uh, a louder 10 right there with their use of words. Oh, yes. It was impressive because really a louder does that. Not only do they drop names, but they they try to just throw words in sentences that are really long to make themselves look profound. Mm -hmm. So you've got it, man. You've got it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I love the validation you're giving me right now. So not only are you a yes man, you're giving me such validation. I mean, if we had an opening on the team, I would try to hire you right now. Well, thank you very much. I think that probably means I'm dull, but thank you very much. 
I want you to take that however you want to take that. Now, Eric, at this part of the show, we open it up to you, the guest. You've been so wonderful and kind to talk to us about your book. But we want to give you a carte blanche, an opening on the microphone, an open mic, if you will, to say and share anything that you'd like. Plug a book, plug your family, plug your wife. It's whatever you wish. Well, I, uh, I will plug the book. I will say that Loudership is likely the best uh, book on leadership you will ever read. No, it's not likely the best. It is the best. I love that confidence. Yeah, it is the best book on leadership you'll ever read. It's life-changing. In what way? I have not found that answer yet. Because of, strangely, I'm not getting great reviews on Amazon. Uh, There is one really solid review. It looks like it's written by the author, but I promise it's not. But the other reviews uh, aren't coming in so, um, so positive yet. You're so far in front of the curve, it can't in any way phase you. No, well, there has never been uh, a negative comment toward me that's phased me, no. It just goes over your head. No, it, a lot of things go over my head. Well, on that note, Eric Geary, it is so great to have you on the Booterverse. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we will be right back right after this. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by Hacky Sacks. Hacky Sacks. Well, people in Colorado need something to do. And now for Booter Thoughts. I know what you're thinking when you see that man strolling down the street with a poodle. And you'd be right. The size and shape of a man's dog really does matter. Who wants to stroll around with a small shih tzu when you can have a 500-pound mastiff all at your heels? Now I know what you're thinking. Isn't a big dog hard to control? Well, absolutely not. In fact, people say that the bigger the dog, the better the experience. And I want you to know here at the Booterverse, we support big dogs. We don't have anything against small dogs, but big dogs are really where it's at. A heat source in the winter, able to fan you off with their tail in the summer, it just makes sense. So if you're thinking about getting a dog, don't go for something you can stuff in your purse or your back pocket. Go for something that can take you for a ride. Because if you can't mount your dog like a horse, what good are they? And that's been it for Booter Thoughts. Here at the Booterverse, we'd like to extend a special thanks to author Eric Geary for being on the show. We'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Of course, we'd like to thank Courtney and Sonny, who help on the production side, and to Quadrants, who composed our theme song. If you haven't had enough of me here, I'm also everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle TheBooter. And of course, we're also on Pinterest, because, you know... Men should be on Pinterest? I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the Booterverse is only a click away.